Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to the services here at Grace Church at Franklin on Arno Road. We're glad you're with us, and we want to welcome all of those who are tuning in by the Internet. Hebrews chapter 1, God at sundry times and in different manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He was able to sit down on the right hand of the majesty on high because he came out of the grave after his death. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Our Father, we call upon you this morning in the mighty, matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us, who gave himself for us, who suffered and bled and died and was put into the grave, prepared for him. But we're thankful that three days later he arose, victorious over the grave, victorious over death, hell, and judgment. And he did it all for the sake of his people. We are thankful today that we have a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that you'll bless us with your spirit and with your power this morning as we seek to worship him. We ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. All right, Brother Joshua is going to lead us in some praise worship. Brothers and sisters, good morning to you all. Can you all rise up with me as we celebrate our risen Lord? We celebrate the risen Savior every day. Amen. But he arose, he did, and let's sing about it. 138. We're going to start at the chorus. Y'all ready? Up from the grave he arose With a mighty triumph for his foes He arose a victor from the dark domain And he lives forever with his saints to reign He arose he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Verse 1, lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus, my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus, my forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus my Savior, saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Death cannot keep his prey, Jesus my Savior, he tore the bars away. 
from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes he arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints glad for that. Well, you all can be seated, and let's do a beautiful aisle of somewhere is what we're going to do. This is, you probably have heard, heard this, we've sang this here before, Land of the True Where We Live Anew, and I thought that'd be a good song to sing on Resurrection Day. If you don't know it, just sing along with us. You can listen for the first verse and then join in. Somewhere the sun is shining, somewhere the songbirds dwell, hush then thy sad repining, God lives and all is well. song, isn't it? We all have so many loved ones who they've already experienced their resurrection. Well, if you are able, if you could stand up with me one more time, there's no doubt that all kinds of things are going on in this world to pull us down, but you know what? It's, It's a good thing to remember things like this. So if you get pulled down, maybe sing this song to yourself. I serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy, I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always there. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. 
to yourself during the week, and somebody remind me to do that song other than just on Resurrection Sunday, because we need to sing that all the time. You all can be seated. We're going to have a special by our brother Keith, and then we'll have teaching. Good morning. Happy Easter. Thank you. Um, as the last song we just sang uh, talked about singing hallelujahs. And if there ever was a day to sing hallelujah, today is the day, right? Um, I wrote a song this past week uh, with a friend of mine, Heather Field, is, which is actually an adaptation um, of some lyrics originally by Fanny Crosby. And um, I just want to sing that for you, but I want to teach you the chorus and have you sing along with me. Because um, it says hallelujah, so we can actually sing hallelujah again this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he has done just what he said. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Christ has risen from the dead. Try that, please. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he has done just what he said. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Christ has risen from the dead. still and quiet garden stood the tomb where Jesus lay till an earthquake broke the silence when the stone was rolled away and the powers of darkness trembled in the light's reality Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, had come forth in victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he has done just what he said. Hallelujah, hallelujah, 
Christ has risen from the dead. From the blessed day of consolation, for the lost they have been found from the cross of pain and anguish come god's mercies flowing down heaven and earth rejoice together and the spirit testifies while the saints proclaim forever it is christ who justifies hallelujah hallelujah he has done just what he said hallelujah hallelujah christ has risen from the dead Let us hear his voice anew, whispering words of love and power, saying, Peace be unto you. As we gather here to worship in his presence, let us sing voices raised in celebration to Jesus Christ the risen King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he has done just what he said. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Christ has risen from the dead. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he has done just what he said. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Christ is risen from the dead. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he has done just what he said. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Christ has risen from the dead. Amen. Amen. And amen. Christ has risen from the dead. Would you stand together one more time with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will be our text today. I want to say while you're standing, thanks to all of you for your intercessory prayers on my behalf and the behalf of my wife, Lynn. We've been sick for a couple of weeks, and she is still ill today. She's much, much better, but she will not be with us today. Just pray for her. Thank you for your calls and for your text and for all of the means of letting us know that you are thinking about us and praying for us. I want to especially hold up today Brother Lee Barton, who, as Todd said, was admitted to the hospital this morning with some serious complications. I want you to pray for Lee. Pray for him today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, that is, Peter, and then of the twelve. And after that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain alive unto this present time, but some of them have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's ask the Lord's blessings on the teaching of his word. Father, I call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our risen, our enthroned, glorified, and soon coming Lord. We ask you to bless your word today, bless the feeble efforts of your servant, that your word may go forth in power and in the Holy Spirit. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. And you may be seated. Today we confess and acknowledge in a very special way the greatest and most memorable of all events known to man since the beginning of time. Greater than the ending of the world wars, greater than all the accomplishments of science, greater than all the unbelievable explorations into outer space, to think that a mere man has actually walked on the moon, that same moon that has since the beginning of time marked all of Earth's seasons, and yet I tell you that walking on the moon is less than nothing when compared to what we celebrate today. The resurrection of the man Jesus from the dead is unparalleled in all of human history. An absolutely unique event. The only foundation of hope in a world of hopelessness. The only light in a world of darkness. The only guarantee of heaven in a world bound for hell. The only promise of mercy in a world under judgment and the sentence of death, and the only possibility of a safe eternity when time is no more. And yet we, the human race, remain in a downward spiral of absolute destruction and misery because we cannot believe it. We will not accept it. We will not receive it. We are very much like Jerusalem of old, of whom Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and stone those which are set unto you, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. This is the condition of the world because of unbelief. It is because Jesus came back from the dead that countless men and women have literally worn themselves out trying to tell others this good news. It is because Jesus walked out of the grave that multitudes have died in the flames, have been stoned to death, thrown to the lions, undergone unspeakable torture rather than accept deliverance by denying the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. As the great apostle has written, rather than deny the great hope of the resurrection, I'm reading this directly from Hebrews 11, many Christians were brutally tortured, had trials of cruel mockings and beatings, were put in chains and imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawed in half. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in this world clothed in sheepskins and goatskins, being poor, afflicted, persecuted, mistreated. They wandered like refugees in the desert and in the mountains, living in the holes and the caves of the earth. What was the one thing that supported them? What was the great revelation that strengthened and emboldened them, that enabled them to quench the fire, to face the sword, to refuse 
deliverance. They knew that a man had walked out of his grave alive, never to die again. They knew that a man had triumphed over the greatest curse ever known by human beings, death. You talk about a pandemic. The statistics of the SIN virus is 100%. It affects 100% of human beings, and it is 100% fatal. No human being, not one single human being, has ever escaped it. No laboratory has ever found a cure for it. We can replace hearts and lungs and kidneys and knees and hips and shoulders and eyes and ears and do quite a bit of brain repair. But we cannot replace death with life. We can exercise right. We can take vitamins and minerals and all kinds of supplements, but still death awaits us at the end of the road. If a man or woman could escape all of the diseases and avoid all of the accidents that plague human beings and live to be a thousand years old, still death would have the final word. But this man, Jesus, awakened out of his sleep of death, folded up his grave clothes, and walked out of his grave alive, triumphant over death. And he has promised he that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live again. Neither Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad or even Moses ever made such promises. The bodies, the bodies of those people, Confucius, Muhammad, Moses, and Buddha, the bodies of those men are all buried somewhere in this world. But the body of Jesus could never be found. But this world does not believe it. And that's why there's no hope. That's why there's nothing but despair everywhere one looks. To reject the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus is to reject the word of God, the will of God, and the way of God. It is to assert that God is a liar, that his word is not true. It is to embrace death. Have you ever read in the Bible where wisdom is pictured as a teacher talking to human beings? Listen to these words from Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. This is wisdom talking. Blessed is the man that hears me. Blessed is the man that watches daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoso finds me finds life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sins against me, he that sins against the wisdom of God and the word of God, he that sins against me wrongs his own soul, all they that hate me love death. All that hate the wisdom of God and the word of God hate the will of God and the way of God hate the Son of God. Only the resurrection of Jesus leads out of this world of corruption and confusion, and death. It is the wisdom of God in the Word of God that reveals the way of God. By the wisdom of God in the Word of God, we learn who we are, we learn why we are, we learn where we are going, and how to avoid the wrong way and gain the right way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is the wisdom of God in the flesh. And he shows us the way of God by teaching us the wisdom of God in the word of God. We can't know God unless we know Jesus. And we can't know Jesus unless we know the word of God. Today, we do not know who we are. We don't even know what we are. Am I a man? Am I a woman? Am I neither? Many persons, when asked that question, answer, I don't know. The last Supreme Court judge, Katanji Brown Jackson, was asked by Senator Marsha Blackburn, Senator from Tennessee, to define woman. 
She responded, I'm not a biologist. My friends, Jesus is the way out of this quagmire. He is the way out of this confusion. Because he conquered death, we can be delivered from two great causes of all fear. I want you to listen to me now. Now, when I listen to people teach, I take notes. I'm going to suggest to you start bringing your notebook and take notes. Sometimes you say, well, I don't understand what you said. Well, take notes and go back and read over your notes and then get the CD as free. The people of this church who give pay for it and listen to it again. I say that if you understand what I'm about to say this morning, you can be delivered from the two great causes of all fear, of all phobia. And what are they? The fear of death and the fear of answering for our sins. That's the two great fears that cause every other phobia, every other fear known to man. The fear of death and the fear of answering for our sins. Now listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 2. I've asked him to put it on the board in the interest of time. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. This is what it says. For as much then as the children of God are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also himself took part of the same. He became flesh and blood. He became a man. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them, the children of God, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Did you know that the fear of death is the mother of all other phobias, all other fears? All fears are rooted in the fear of death. For example, why are we afraid of getting sick? We're afraid of getting sick because sickness could lead to death. Why are we afraid of disease? Because it might bring us to the grave. All fears are linked to the fear of death. We are all our lifetime subject to various and sundry fears because of the fear of death. Now just think about it. If there were no death, what would there be to be afraid of? Behind this fear of death is the devil who brought death to the human race. We read about that in Genesis chapter 3. He was the instrument through which death entered the human race. And he brought it by lying about God, by lying about God's word, and lying about death. And through that, he brought Adam and Eve under the power of of death. Now the lie about death began, this is very important, the lie about death began with questioning the goodness of the Lord. I have taught you that the G in grace is goodness. The lie about death began with questioning the goodness of the Lord. Now, every one of you probably has prayed the little prayer, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. The devil said, a good God wouldn't withhold anything from you that would give you pleasure. So why can't you eat of every tree of the garden? Now follow me, there are two truths that can deliver us from the deception of the devil. Two truths which if you learn, believe, accept, get them into your heart of hearts, you'll be delivered from the deception of the devil concerning death. 
First of all, it is this. God is good. Believing that God is good is the means of deliverance from fear. He's always good. He always does good. His will is to always work in all things for good to those who love him. Romans 8, 28. That means that nothing is forbidden to us except that which is not for our good. The goodness of God guarantees that he will never withhold anything from us that is not for our good. So that means that anything forbidden to us would hurt us. Now remember that. The devil said to the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the, that's in the midst of the garden, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of that, lest you die. That tree was forbidden for their good. Now, we know that they did eat what was forbidden. But praise the Lord, the Lord is always a step ahead of the devil. I'd like you to put that passage back up there, Brother Ken, if you will, the Hebrews 2 passage. The Lord is always a step ahead of the devil. The Lord allowed the devil. You remember this now. There may be a devil. But he's God's devil. He's God's devil. He's on a chain. And he can't do anything the Lord doesn't let him do. He had to ask permission to tempt Job. He had to get around certain things in order to bring to death our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord allowed the devil to bring death, that through death he might destroy the devil and his dreadful power over us because of the fear of death. Look at that passage again. He took part of the same. He, he became flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. In other words, the Lord caused the devil to shoot himself with his own gun. It is through death that the Lord of life destroyed the devil and the power of death. There can be no resurrection unless there's first death. The very word anastasis, the word that's translated resurrection, means literally a standing up of the dead. Christ died in order that he might be resurrected from the dead and in that resurrection destroyed death and him who brought it. So here's the lesson. We who believe, we who trust, are trusting Christ, we have nothing to be afraid of concerning death, because a man has conquered death, and that man is our friend. And we have nothing to be afraid of concerning death, therefore we have nothing to be afraid of at all. We are delivered from death. Thus we are delivered from the fear of death, and we are delivered from all fears related to the fear of death, because Jesus, the man, came forth from the grave, we are delivered from the fear of death. Now, the second thing that we are delivered from is this. We are delivered from the fear of answering for our sins. What did the devil use to create the fear of death? He used sin. God said, don't do what I told you not to do. If you do you will die. The devil said, you will not surely die. The result of disobedience was not only death, but guilt and a slavish fear of God. Now hear what I'm saying. Slavish means a slave-like fear. 
The Bible says, fear the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But that word means an utter respect for, a standing in awe of, a reverence for. But it is not a slavish fear. It's not a fear like um, a, a slave would have over a cruel or toward a cruel master. The result of disobedience by Adam not only brought death, but it brought guilt. And it brought a slavish fear of God. And since the fall of Adam, men and women have been afraid of God. Why? Because we know we are guilty. And we will have to answer for our sins. Now, if you have your Bible still open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 56. The sting of death is sin. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, the sting of death is sin. If there were no sin, there would be no death. It is the guilt of sin that makes death such an awful thing. And the strength of sin, which brought about death, it says, is law. In other words, it's transgression that gives death its power. Victory over law is victory over sin. Because Jesus kept the law, sin had no power over him. And because sin had no power over him, death had no power over him. And because death had no power over him, the grave had no power over him. And that is why, after three days, the grave could not hold him. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bible open. Let's go back to the first verse of the 15th chapter. Let's look at what this is saying. I read for you the first eight verses. So let's look at them again with a little bit more detail. He begins with, moreover, brethren. Now what does that tell us? It tells us he's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. He's writing to his family. Those who hear and believe the gospel are related. We are related to each other in Christ. We are family, and we should love one another. He says, brethren, I declare unto you. The gospel is to be declared. It's not to be hidden. It's not to be kept secret. It is the gospel, though, I want to remind you of this, it's the gospel which is to be declared, not the opinions of men. Number three, the gospel is to be the centerpiece of our declaration. It is to be preached. He says, which I preached unto you. This is all verse one. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, that it has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching or teaching to save those who believe. Then he says, the gospel is to be received. Verse 1, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have received. That's the opposite of rejection. You have become one with it. It has become part of you. As I've often said, you can take my house, you can take my car, but you can't take what I had for breakfast this morning. That's already part of me. It's one with me. And this is what he's talking about. He's talking about us becoming one with Christ. Read John chapter 17, where Jesus said, Father, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one. 
I in them and they in me, that we might be one. So the gospel is to be received like you receive food. It's the opposite of rejection. It's to receive it. Then he says, wherein you stand, verse 1. Notice now, I've declared it. I preached it. You received it. And you stand in it. The gospel is the foundation of our reconciliation unto God. The gospel is the foundation of our hope. We stand before the Lord on the gospel. So I ask you, what are you standing on this morning? What's your foundation before the holy and sovereign God? I've told you before of the old illiterate preacher named John Jasper. He was always preaching the gospel, and they said, John Jasper, suppose when you die and you get to the gates of heaven and the angelic creature that guards the entrance into heaven should ask you, John Jasper, what right do you have to enter here? What would you say, John? John would say, I would say, I ain't got no rights at all, but I ain't here on my rights. I'm here on the rights of Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not here on my rights. I'm here on his rights. We're standing in Christ. We're standing on Christ. That's the foundation. We're not standing on our church membership. We're not standing on our sincerity. We're not standing because we want to do good and we want to do right and we never hurt anybody and all of that. Throw all of that out. You're standing on Christ. Christ is your right to enter heaven if you're trusting him. Then he says in verse 2, by which you are saved. That word soteria, the word from which we get our word salvation, it really means to be made secure. By which you are saved. The Bible speaks of salvation in three tenses, having been saved, being saved, shall be saved. Just like I, have, I was born, I grew up, I'm still growing, I'm still moving, that's the idea here. The gospel is the divine means of salvation, he says here is that we are standing in the gospel, we've received the gospel, we've heard the gospel, and he said we're saved by the gospel. We're saved through the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. I'll say more about that in just a moment. The gospel is the divine means of salvation by what you're saved. Then he says... Also in this verse, verse 2, that the gospel is to be remembered. He said, if you keep in memory. That's just a way of saying if you have really received it, if you really believe it, if you're really standing on it, you will not be able to separate yourself from it, and it will not separate itself from you. You will not forget it. That'll be your hope today. It'll be your hope tomorrow. It'll be your hope 25 years from now. It'll be your hope when you are lying on your deathbed and people are shaking their heads and the doctor says it won't be long now. It'll be your hope then. You'll be hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will remember that he died for sinners like you. You will remember that you are trusting him. You will remember that you have no hope outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, we're told in Hebrews 23, unto the end. If we really believed it, we'll believe it unto the end. Number eight, <coughs> he says, if we believe in vain, unless we have believed in vain. What in the world does that mean? Verse 2. Keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. Well, the first thing it means is what I just said. If you just had a little head of knowledge and a little head affirmation and you just gave a little nod to Jesus, but you're not a sinner that needed a Savior, 
You have believed in vain, and, and it will show itself in your life. It's like a woman that's expecting a child. And my mother told me once, Bill, you may be having a little baby brother or a little baby sister. I said, can I go out and tell everybody? She said, no. And I said, why? She said, it will tell itself. The little boy said, Daddy, how big was Jesus? He said, I don't know, son. I guess about five, ten, six feet, something like that. Why do you ask? He said, because if he was in me, he'd stick out, wouldn't he? Well, that's what he's saying here. He's saying that if Christ is in you by his spirit, through faith, in his promise to you, he's going to keep you. He'll keep you. You will not have believed in vain. And the other sense in which you can believe in vain is if you believe in a Jesus, if you believe in a Christ that did not come forth from the grave, you have believed in vain. Because a dead Christ can't save anybody. Then he says in verse 3 that we can only deliver, we can only testify of what we have received, when we tell others, what we tell others reveals what we have received. He says that in all of these verses, and especially in verse 3. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received. I'm telling you, said Paul, what God revealed to me. And so when we talk to other people, we're telling them what God told us. Your testimony will reveal what you believe. It will reveal where you stand. This is what he's saying here. Well, what revelation have we received? What have we been taught of God? Well, there are three pillars that support the gospel. Here they are. He said, Christ died for our sins, verse 3, according to the scriptures. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when he said, according to the scriptures, there was not a New Testament. There was only the Old Testament. There was Genesis through Malachi. So he's saying that the Old Testament shows us that the Christ, the Messiah, was going to die for the sins of his people. As I say all the time, the Bible is a hymn book, H I. It reveals him. It points to him. So he says he died for our sins according to the scriptures. In other words, he fulfilled all the scriptures about that. Then it says he was buried. You only bury dead people. You don't bury people who are alive. So he said he was buried. That means that everybody who was there present testified that, the, that Jesus, the man Jesus, was dead. He was buried. And then he says he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He died with our sins, charged to his account. He was buried with our sins. And the fact that he paid for our sins is testified by the fact that his father raised him from the grave after three days. Jesus died. He didn't swoon. And he died with a purpose in view. What was the purpose? He died for our sins. He was buried with our sins. He rose again the third day because he had satisfied all of the demands of a holy God concerning our sins. And then the apostle adds a fourth element, which in my opinion carries a lot of weight. It's verse 5. And he was seen. He was seen. He was seen. He was seen. He was seen, first of all, Alive, after his passion, after his suffering, after his death, he was seen of Cephas. Cephas is Peter. Then he was seen of the twelve. Then he was seen of over 500 
people at one time. Now, I believe one or two could have a hallucination, but I don't think all 500 could be hallucinating. He was seen of over 500 people at one time, and he said the greater part of that 500 are still alive when he wrote these words. Some are fallen asleep. I've told you before, nowhere in the Bible does it say a child of God dies Children of God fall asleep. Unbelievers die because they have death upon them and in their souls. But believers fall asleep. He says, after that, verse 7, he was seen of James. Then he was seen of the apostles. And last of all, he says, verse 8, he was seen of me also. He was seen alive, my friends. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by the apostles. He was seen by 500 brethren. He was seen by James. And he was seen of all the apostles. And he was seen of Paul himself who wrote these words. I tell you the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the best attested Records in history. You don't have to have that kind of witness to win a case in a case of law and in many, many, many more things here. The Jews told the Roman guards, we have gone and talked to your bosses and they're going to allow us to post our own guards. We want some Jews here with the Romans. We don't trust the Romans. So you had Roman guards and you had Jews who were guarded. And then later, when they couldn't find Christ because he came out of the grave, they said, now you just, uh, we'll give you some money and you just tell them you fell asleep. Well, if they fell asleep, how did they know he got out? You see, there are all kinds of holes in this. Here's the, the record is that Jesus, the man Jesus, rose from the grave on the third door. Therefore, we are delivered from the fear of death and we are delivered from the fear of our sins being judged. They've all been judged in him, and we have nothing to answer for if he paid for them. May the Lord add his blessings on the teaching of his word. Let's stand together. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Keith, I appreciate that song. Boy, that was great. That was great. Thought about us just closing with that again. That is so good. Ladies and gentlemen, here at Grace Church, we celebrate the resurrection every single week. Not just once a year. We have no reason to come together. Read the rest of 1 Corinthians 15. He tells us in that chapter, if Christ didn't come out of the grave, we have no gospel to preach. He said, if Christ didn't come out of the grave, we have no hope in our own death. He said, if Christ didn't come out of the grave, we're found to be liars because we've testified of God that God raised him from the dead and we've made God a liar if he didn't come out of the grave. If Christ didn't come out of the grave, we have no hope. If Christ didn't come out of the grave, we might as well eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But if he came out of the grave... And he did. We have every reason to celebrate every single day of our lives. We have no reason to be afraid of anything because whatever takes us out of this world will be for our good because it will take us into the presence of him who loved us and gave himself for us. We can't lose. If we stay here, we're going to praise him. If we leave here, we're going to be with him. My question to you is, have you trusted him? Have you come to him? Have you believed on him? You don't save yourself by doing something. You don't save yourself by believing. He saves you and he gives you the faith by what you believe. But it is the peculiar characteristic of all believers down through history that they all believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all willing to confess him. They're all willing to be lined up with him. He said, if you're ashamed of me 
In this sinful and adulterous generation, I'll be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father with the holy angels. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what the scripture said. May the Lord help you to do that.